Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning and we confess that our seeking You was not um, a thought that first occurred to us, but rather it was You working in us and drawing us to Yourself. Nothing we have that is any of any substance of any uh, good in Your presence comes from us. It only comes from You. Lord, remind us of this solemn fact as we uh, consider uh, this passage of Scripture before us. Romans chapter 2, verses 1-16. through 16. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this is a very difficult sermon to preach. I don't think I could have preached this sermon a few years ago. I don't think I would have been willing to be honest with myself enough to really understand what this passage is saying. And to the extent that I would have understood it, I'm not sure how completely I would have owned it. This passage says some things that most of us will struggle to agree with because most of us have not thought of ourselves in terms of how this picture, how this passage portrays us. It occurs to me that I've had many conversations with individuals and also couples over the past few months where the things addressed in Romans chapter 2 uh, would be relevant. I assure you I have not had any individuals in mind as I have prepared this message. I've used myself as the foil for this message. I also use my wife. I just play it just just a little humor because this is going to be a difficult sermon. Although I could have used her because it's true of her as it is true of all of us. I've tried to actively embrace everything at the deepest level of my heart um, that I've learned from my preparation from this sermon. Um, that being said, I am urging you to open yourselves to the truth of this passage and embrace it for yourself. One more brief remark by way of introduction. Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 16 offers a very penetrating analysis of the human condition. Uh, and the analysis of the human condition that is, that is, uh, is offered here in Romans 2, 1 through 16 I believe is more mature and more helpful than all the PhDs in psychology or in relationship counseling that I've found. Uh, the Scriptures, being God's Holy Word, not only teach about God, it also teaches us about ourselves. In fact, that was one of the things that God used to bring me to Himself was I began reading the Bible and I met myself in the Scriptures, and it was an ugly picture. If you are here this morning and you are wondering if God's Word is really true, as you listen to this sermon of how Romans 2 describes you and also describes everyone else you know, ask yourself why modern psychology has not been so clear in describing human nature. 
And more to the point, why you have not considered yourself according to the description found here in Romans chapter 2. Alright, that being said, on to the passage. You will remember that Paul outlined the theme of the book of Romans in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in verse 17... He said that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Paul's unstated point is that all humanity has fallen short of God's perfect righteousness and therefore is only deserving of His wrath. So he says in verse 17, "...for in it, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed." And then he goes to speak about the wrath of God being revealed. Now you might be saying, Pastor Wes, how can you be sure that this is Paul's unstated argument? Since it's, after all, unstated. How can you be so sure that this is what he is, the argument he is putting forth? Well, I'm sure that this is his uh, unstated argument uh, because... Um, of what he does state very clearly in Romans chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open, and I encourage you, have your Bibles open uh, as we look at the Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, we have a pew Bible there in front of you. And so look at Romans chapter 3. You can just turn over, if you have your Bibles open, just turn over a page or so. And look at Romans chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. So he's saying the righteousness of God is revealed in chapter 1, verse 17. Here he's saying, But none are righteous. In fact, if you look on... uh, Later in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, he makes essentially the same point. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, God's righteousness is revealed But when it's revealed, it's not revealed in us. Because we have none. We're sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. God's righteousness is revealed in Himself. God's righteousness is revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no righteousness in... (coughs) Excuse me. No righteousness in us. We're sinners. So now turn back over to uh, Romans 1.18. And he says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So His wrath is being revealed against unrighteous people because we have sinned. The only righteousness is God's righteousness. That's why Paul immediately turns from his righteousness in 117 to the subject of God's wrath in verse 18. So we saw in the sermon last week, Paul outlines the reasons why God reveals His wrath. He reveals His wrath because we have exchanged the worship of God for the worship of our favorite object of worship, namely, me, myself, and I. And He reveals His wrath in the present by giving us over to our favorite sinful desires. So as we move into uh, chapter 2, keep in mind that Paul's point is that all humanity falls short of God's perfect righteousness and therefore is only deserving of His wrath. Paul knows that there are going to be people who say to themselves, I don't find myself being described in Romans chapter 1. I don't find myself being described... um, by what he says in verses 28 through 32. Let me remind you what he says that we saw last week. So Romans 1, 28 through 32, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so there are going to be people that say that description of humanity in Romans 1, 28-32, it just doesn't describe me. I'd like to think that I'm as bad as the Bible says, but it, I'm just not that bad. So look at what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, connecting it with what's above, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. In other words, Paul will not, let, will not allow you to excuse yourself from being deserving of the wrath of God. Every human being that has ever been born as a child of Adam is deserving of the wrath of God. There's only one human being that's ever been born that was not deserving of the wrath of God, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why He had to be born of a virgin that Adam's sin would not be um, imputed to him. Otherwise, all humanity, every one of us, are born deserving the wrath of God. Now, most people think of themselves as law-abiding, home-loving, clean-living, decent people. 
And that's the attitude of most church-going people. That's why you hear uh, people talk of so-and-so as being a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. Others perhaps don't go to church uh, at all, but nevertheless pride themselves on their moral standards and their ethical values and their clean, law-abiding lives. And so, those people who think of themselves in such terms, they think in terms of them in Romans chapter 1 and us as good, law-abiding, decent people. And so, uh, it's very tempting to think in terms of Romans 1, yeah, I can understand. They deserve the wrath of God. I understand they deserve the wrath of God. They are uh, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I can understand they deserve the wrath of God. Um, But not me. Other people. The other people are the reasons for our problems in society. Not me. Or to put it more close to home. The other person in the house is the problem. Not me. Or my boss is the problem. Not me. Or my teacher is the problem. Not me. You see how that attitude works? The people in Romans 2 look at the people in Romans 1 and they sneer. God has given me x-ray vision this morning. I can see what went through your head right now. I can see that you're thinking, Paul says that I am guilty of practicing those very same things at the end of Romans 1. But I'm not. I'm not a murderer. I'm not full of malice. I'm not full of envy and deceit. I really just am not. I know you're thinking that. But remember how last week I made the point that Paul was simply putting forth examples of sins that result from self-love that replaces the Creator. In other words, Paul is focusing on our heart attitudes. The real evil in Romans 1 We're not all these, um, the sexual sins and the homosexuality and the, the covetousness and evil and malice and all those things. Those simply flowed forth from the self-love, the self-worship that replaces the Creator with the creation. In other words, us. So Paul is focusing on the heart attitudes. The person who plays the them versus us uh, game is practicing the same self-love attitude as those people in chapter 1. When it comes to self-examination, we are to look at our hearts before we look at our hands. In other words, we're to look at our hearts before we examine our actions. Because our actions flow from our hearts. 
So what Paul is saying is the people in Romans 1 and the people in Romans 2 are basically committing the same sin of self-love, of putting themselves in the place of the Creator. So when you judge another person for their outward sins that are, that are the result of their heart attitude of favoring themselves over God, you are condemning yourself because you are Ill, equally guilty of favoring yourself over God. In fact, if there are any of you here this morning, whether in the balcony or here uh, out in the pews, who do not regularly favor yourself over God, I give you permission to go home right now. You don't need to stay for the rest of the sermon since it doesn't apply to you. However, before you leave, I would ask you to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30 to understand what is meant by heart attitude sins. And those of you who know the Sermon on the Mount know what I'm referring to. Now I need to say a word about judging since there's so much misunderstanding about whether a Christian can judge or not. Um, you know, all the, the, the whole world knows the, the, the verse, do not judge. I think even Donald Trump would know, do not judge. Um, by all means, we are to judge right from wrong as Christians. We are to even judge people's actions. If we turn a blind eye to uh, another person's sin, then what, we do, what we're doing is we're becoming the person in verse 32 who is giving approval to those who practice sin. But Paul is talking about passing judgment in verse 1. Passing judgment is not to point out a wrong with an attitude in the heart. Or, I'm sorry, Passing judgment is to point out a wrong with an attitude in our own heart that rejoices in the wrong because it makes me feel better about myself. Oh, that person, well, they are full of envy. They are a gossip. They, they disobey their parents. And I feel better about myself because I compare myself to that person. And by looking at their failings, I am lifted up in my pride. You know, a lot of arguments have this dynamic. And so we must win the argument, not because we care about the other person uh, so much and their welfare, but we, we must win the argument because we chiefly care about ourselves and our pride. See, and that's passing judgment. You're wrong, I'm right, with a self-centered attitude. See, it's the heart... The heart attitude that ultimately counts. God looks to the heart. And if our heart is motivated only by self-denying love for the other person, and we don't have too many arguments like that where I only care about the other person, I'm denying myself, but I, I, I have the other person's welfare in my mind, it transforms the whole way we argue with each other. It becomes beneficial rather than I must win and therefore the other person must lose. It changes the whole tone of the argument. Alright, I've spent a lot of time on verse 1. 
Can you see how the moralist is just as worthy of wrath, uh, just as worthy of the wrath of God as the people described in Romans 1? So can you see how the the person in Romans 2 verse 1 is just as deserving of God's wrath as the people in Romans 1? If you disagree and say, no, I don't see that, it's not true of me, well then your argument is not with me, it's with God. Look at verse 2. Verses 2 and 3 actually. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? See that? The judgment of God, the wrath of God. uh, All people are deserving of it. And this is a very serious matter. The person who practices self-righteousness is rejecting God just as much as the person or the people in Romans chapter 1. Self-righteousness is a big issue. May I say, it is a damning issue. It is worthy of the, the outpoured wrath of God. People who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, but rely on their self-righteousness for their self-worth, are rejecting God just as much as the people in Romans chapter 1, according to the Apostle Paul. Have you ever cried out to God for Him to be merciful towards someone who does not know God and is openly rejecting Him? I imagine we all have. God, please be merciful to so-and-so. They don't know you. They don't know what they're doing. They're rejecting you. Please be merciful. Be patient with them and draw them to repentance. But look at verse 4 and see who Paul says, is presuming upon God's kindness and patience. Verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Who is He speaking to? He's speaking to the moralist. He's speaking to the self-righteous person. And He's saying, Don't you understand that God is being patient with you and kind to you Trying, he, He's not uh, squishing you like a bug to give you um, opportunity to repent. Self-righteous people generally have easier lives than the people in Romans chapter 1. The people in Romans chapter 1 might have more consequences because of their sin. They're living more chaotic lives. But the self-righteous person makes ethical and well-thought decisions. And their life works. Practically speaking, a self-righteous person can line up things, can make things work, can uh, live a pretty productive life. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Would you want your children to play with the children of self-righteous people? Or would you want your children to play with um, the children of, of drug dealers and drug addicted people? Who would you rather have your children play with? Well, obviously the, the children of the self-righteous. Their lives work pretty well compared to others whose life is in chaos. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? The danger for the self-righteous is that they can live their lives with very little trouble or commotion. And the peacefulness of their lives they can take easily to mean is the blessing of God. God's happy with me because I'm not really experiencing any hardships in my life. He's blessing me. But God says that the self-righteous person is mistaking His kindness and patience for blessing when it's really intended to lead us towards repentance. What's happening is the person is really storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. Or as Paul puts it in verse 5, the day of wrath. Look at verse 5. But because of your hard... He's still talking to the self-righteous person. But because of your hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. One of the blessings of sin, if I may put it like that, is it can make you so miserable that you... You turn from your, your old way of life and you turn to God. God, forgive me. I am a sinner. And you cry out to God because you're completely undone. But see, a self-righteous person who has it all together, they are functioning with their sin. They're a functional sinner. They don't realize just how dire their situation is because everything's working out. That is a scary thought. So, let me ask you a few questions because we need to be closing here in a second. How do you know whether you are self-righteous or not? Because that's an important question. What if you're deceiving yourself here this morning and you're self-righteous and you're storing up, as Paul says, wrath for the day of wrath? Well, the first question and most important question is, going back to verse 4 as it talks about repentance or in verse 5 as it talks about unrepentance, are you repenting? And I'm not talking about repentance in the past. I'm not talking about a repentance year ago. I'm talking about daily, ongoing repentance. Is repentance a part of your lifestyle? If it's not, watch out. You're probably guilty of self-righteousness. Trusting in yourself. working um, Working out your own salvation by... Uh, doing good and thinking that you're good. So is repentance and a part of your ongoing lifestyle? Another thing, do you feel that you are a hopeless sinner whom God would have a perfect right to cast you off right this minute because of the state of your life and heart? Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul says, uh, who, will dis- who will deliver me from this, ra- from this body of death? The very thing I hate, 
I do the very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. And so do you understand and believe that without God's grace, and that really, truly, you deserve His wrath? Again, when, when you consider how those outside our church live, do you shake your head in judgment? Or do you think, my heart is by nature just like theirs? It just shows itself differently. Or again, do you deep down think that there is no judgment for you? Or that you can um, stand in your own judgment on the judgment day? Or have you accepted that your own values will condemn you? The, the values that cause you to judge others, that they will condemn you and that you will need to be given a right standing that you could never, ever achieve on your own. And that right standing is all about the Gospel. God gives us His righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means in Romans um, 1 verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is a faith that is received. I'm sorry, a righteousness that is received from God, not from ourselves. Oh, I want to. I'm just going to read verses six through uh, sixteen. Here's the point that I want you to understand. Just one, the one big point. As you listen, look for this. God does not. Judge impartially. He judges... Is that right? God does not judge with partiality. He judges impartially. In other words, uh, all the good things you've done for God, um, those will not put you in another line from other people. Everybody is going to be judged. Listen to the fairness, the equity with which God will judge all of us. Beginning with verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, there's the whole heart of the issue, and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness. And uh, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men 
by Jesus Christ. Alright, there's a lot there. I'm not going to go over it this morning. Uh, but I simply want you to see, God is an impartial judge. And He will judge all of us. And how will He judge us? Verse 16, when God judges the secrets of men, and you're probably thinking of these actions that you've committed uh, throughout your, your life that you hope no one else ever knows about, that's not the secrets that He's talking about. The secrets He's talking about, and those will be judged, by the way, but the secrets He's talking about are the secrets in our hearts. The, the heart attitudes that no one else sees. The judging of others. The self-righteousness. The placing ourselves before God. These are the secrets. The secrets of the heart. The attitudes of the heart that God will judge. That's awesome to think about that. Where does that leave us? It leaves us very guilty. It leaves us very open and exposed to the wrath of God. What are we going to do? We're going to, by faith, take hold of Jesus Christ. There's no other thing that we can do. There is nothing that any of you here can do except take hold of Jesus Christ and lock down on Him by faith alone. Because it is only through His righteousness that any of us on the day of God's wrath. But we will not only survive. On that day, we will be God's children. All our sins will be uh, cast as far as the east is from the west because they have already been forgiven in Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. Oh, self-righteous person, we are not. Let's pray. God... We flee to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Even those of us who have been walking him with Him for years and years because we know in our hearts the ways in which we judge others, the ways in which we put ourselves before You and worship and serve the, the creature of me, myself, and I rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen.